You must remember this. Coming to get you, Barbara. What an excellent day for an exorcism. They're here. Here's Johnny. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Steven here. I am alone today. Jason is not here. Um, there was a little bit of scheduling issues, but that's besides the point. We wanted to bring you a Halloween movie for this first Monday, and we are bringing you a Halloween movie. That movie being Halloween, directed by John Carpenter. It was originally released on October 25th, 1978. It had a budget of 300000 to 325000 and it grossed over $70 million. It ended up being, at the time, I believe, the most successful independent film of all time. And to this day, it is one of the most successful independent films of all time. The movie, as you probably already know, stars Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls, and Nancy Keys. Now, we're going to do the show just like we usually do. Um, I'll talk about when I first saw this movie, then I'll go through the cast and give you guys some of my favorite scenes, why I think this movie is special, and talk a little bit about the production and stuff so you guys can get some behind-the-scenes news. But other than that, we'll get started. So, for me, this film, I saw at a pretty early age. Um, I was probably around seven or eight, between seven and ten, I would say. And this movie had always been on, like, television and everything like that. And before that, I was a little bit scared of scary movies, so I kind of avoided them um, at all costs. But people like Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Michael Myers were already in the let's <clears throat> the lexicon of pretty much everybody that was alive and I kind of knew them um, by their mask or by their weapon of choice or whatever but I hadn't really sat down and watched this movie and it wasn't until that age when I just remember having this whole chest of VHS movies that I would just watch when nobody was around and this was one that I pulled out and I remember the cover of it and just being very very hesitant to put this movie on until I did, and I watched it, and something about this movie just enticed me, like, so much. I just thought how cool it was, how simple it was, and how cool it was, and this idea of evil and what evil could be inside a human being, um, and there's kind of no explanation for it. I just thought it was really, really cool, and over that time, after seeing it that one time, I pretty much wore that uh, VHS into the ground. I watched it over and over and over again. And then in the years following, because at this point there are already shit like six sequels out to it. I got my hands on those through Blockbuster or watched them on TV. And I watched those movies over and over again. None of which I have the same affection for, except for maybe Halloween two. I really liked that movie. Um, I remember, (laughs) I remember we got these movies in a three pack. And I watched the first Halloween, and I was like, dude, this is so cool. And then I I, I watched the second Halloween, which I really love, um, actually. It, it's uh, I think it's a cool continuation 
of the story and it adds a little bit more lore to it. Um, it has since been retconned like twice by other French, like by other sequels. But I really enjoy that one, and I remember watching that, and I was like, "All right, cool, gonna pop in Halloween three. This is gonna be great." And then I watch it, and I get Season of the Witch, and it has nothing to do with Michael Myers or Laurie Strode or anything like that. And I just remember being extremely upset and felt like betrayed. And it wasn't until years later, going back to watch that movie, that I found a real like love for it. And I, I enjoy Halloween three immensely now. It's it, I think it's such a fun movie. Um, that being the case, uh, I can't really confirm or deny this is kind of like shitty internet research and stuff that I've heard from articles and shit like that. But uh, originally, apparently, the idea for the Halloween series, it was always meant to be a series, but they were supposed to be like standalone films. So you're going to have one about a mass killer stalking babysitters, and then you're going to have another one about what Halloween 3 is about. And then it, like an anthology series. So each one would be different with a different story, but they all took place on Halloween. Now, this movie was supposed to do that, apparently, but it came out and it was so successful that before they went forward with their new story, the studio was demanding that they make a sequel to Halloween. And that's why we got one so quick. And that's why the next film right afterwards was Halloween 3 Season of the Witch that had nothing to do with Michael Myers. And he's in that movie, but only on TV because somebody is watching the original Halloween. Um, And then after that, you know, you get the return of Michael Myers and then Revenge of Michael Myers, the curse of Michael Myers. It's just so many other sequels. There's other ones that I enjoy, other ones that I like, but nothing holds a candle to the first movie. Even as much as I enjoy the second one and I enjoy like how it expands on the lore and I think it's a great um, follow up to the film. This movie in general is such a playbook for so many films that came after it. So to me, this is like one of the the best movies to watch during Halloween. It's one of the best horror films of all time. Most people um, hold it as such. And yeah, that's, that's what it was like for me growing up watching this movie for the first time over and over again. So I'm going to get back into talking about the production and what this movie actually took to get done and, you know, the legacy that it holds. But first, I just want to talk about the cast a little bit. So obviously, um, the star of this movie is Jamie Lee Curtis and why that's special. And they they talk about it and all the production news is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is the daughter of Janet Lee, who was the star of Psycho, who gets killed in the shower. And that's one reason why. Um, John Carpenter wanted to cast her, even though she wasn't the first choice, he thought it would be great publicity because one, he was a big fan of psycho and he thought that this was a very, um, similar film, similar idea to a movie. And, uh, once her name was mentioned, he was on board with casting her. People know Jamie Lee Curtis pretty well. Like I said, she's obviously part of the Halloween franchise, but she's had an illustrious career afterwards, 1983, She's in Trading Places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, two of the biggest stars in the world at the time. Uh, one of my favorites, and I know Jason's favorites, uh, True Lies from 1994. Um, she's in the Lindsay Lohan Freaky Friday re- uh, remake in 2003. And she was just recently in one of the best films I thought of this year. Um, I think, to be honest with you, the best film I've seen all year, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And obviously, she's going to be starring in Halloween Ends this month. And she walked away from this franchise a couple times, actually. So 
Obviously, she didn't come back for the return of Michael Myers. That movie centers around like her daughter, um, and that was a f- after doing two of these movies. Then in the 1990s, she came back for Halloween H2O, which I find very, very fun. It's a, it's a cool movie. And then right after that, they made a sequel to that movie, and it was Halloween Resurrection. She came back for that movie, but she's only in the first scene, and she dies right away. And back then, you think, really, like, you're never going to see her again. Well, first of all, she dies in the franchise. Second of all, you just think that an actress might be done with this, but... I think we're living in a time unprecedented um, in people like there's this whole nostalgia kick. You get all the Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill and Laura Dern coming back for Jurassic Park. You never thought you'd see them again. Jamie Lee Curtis coming back for this. Just there's a lot of push for nostalgia filmmaking and people coming back for old roles, even if like they're not even that big parts of the franchise. And it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. But regardless, she's back. I I think these last two films and pretty sure this last one is they're I, I i don't care for them they're i think they're they're really bad um and not even in a fun way i try to watch the second one just for laughs and i could not stomach it, it was it was <clears throat> awful experience awful experience but yeah that's jamie lee curtis um she's had a great career um yeah i i like us we like us some jamie lee here she's pretty pretty good actress been in some great movies but yeah Moving on, the other star of this movie is for sure Donald Pleasance. He's like the biggest star in this movie at the time. Um, most people probably know him. <clears throat> most people probably know him from the Halloween series, especially young younger people, people my age. But he's also in The Great Escape uh, years earlier. Such a um, fantastic film. You Only Live Twice, the James Bond film. He's also um, the president in Escape from New York. Uh, he's been in a bunch of different movies throughout his career, none of which um, I think are as special as an iconic role as Dr. Loomis in the Halloween franchise. He's like kind of the face of the franchise going forward after Jamie Lee cuts out. Um, He returns in The Return of Michael Myers, and he's in, I believe, three other of the films. And, uh, yeah, he's he's great in this movie. He's He's got such a... um, kind of like a Shakespearean presence in this. He keeps it really grounded and makes it seem more, more real and more, more terrifying to be honest with you. I mean, that's the whole point of his characters that try and sell the other characters on how much danger they're in, how, 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 how serious they should take Michael Myers and why they should be concerned that he's back in, in, in their town. But yeah, that's Donald Pleasance. He's, he's awesome in this movie. Next, we got Nancy Keys, who plays Annie Brackett. And I haven't seen her in too much other stuff, but she is in Assault on Precinct uh, 13, which is the film that actually got John Carpenter this job. Uh, he did right before this one. She's good in that one. She's good in this one. Uh, but, yeah, she dies getting strangled in a car. And then I think she gets her, like, throat slit, actually. Um, and then on top of that, we got PJ Souls, who plays Linda. You might have recognized her from movies like Carrie, and she's also um, Bill Murray's love interest in Stripes, which is a great movie. Hopefully we'll do that one soon in the future. And uh, other than that, not a whole lot of recognizable names. I do want to shout out Nick Castle, who plays um, 
for the most part, Michael Myers, and then Tony Moran, who plays him when he doesn't have his mask on. Um, but uh, other than that, the, the cast is pretty small. There's not a whole lot of speaking roles in this movie, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty tight knit cast, and we can move on to like the actual story of this movie. So, like I said, growing up, the, I watched this movie over and over again, and it was such a joy because, like I said, there were there was at this point, fuck, um, five sequels to this movie. There's Halloween 2, Halloween 3, which isn't necessarily a sequel, The Return of Michael Myers, The Revenge of Michael Myers, and The Curse of Michael Myers. And those movies I had seen over and over again, and, you know, there hadn't been a Halloween movie made for quite some time. So, you know, being a little kid, not knowing the ins and outs of Hollywood, I just latched onto this movie and watched it over and over and over again. And, you know, there are scenes in this movie that are definitely a little outdated. They don't seem as realistic. Um, Deborah Hill, apparently John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, once they got the rights to to make this movie, they wrote the the script together, um, but they wrote different pieces of it. So John Carpenter came up with the lore behind Michael Myers and all of Donald Pleasance's speeches which I find extremely fascinating that worked very well. Whereas Deborah Hill, she used to be a babysitter and she wrote all the dialogue for um, all the dialogue for the teenagers, which for the most part works. The only, the only, uh, only problem I have is um, PJ soul is always saying totally all the time. Like I get it. She's a teenager. She says totally pretty often, but it's like, I, I even as a little kid, I remember watching and be like, man, this is a little heavy handed. But um, other than that, yeah, I think I think the dynamic between the three uh, three friends actually work and and seems pretty pretty genuine. Um, other than that, the lore that John Carpenter is putting behind Michael Myers as a killer as his blank face, I just thought was so effective, and something about it was so scary to me. Um, just the idea that somebody can go so insane that they're not even human anymore, that there's nothing behind their eyes, that they're that that something happened to them, something broke inside them, and now all they have like just one fixation, and that fixation is to kill or to stalk people or something like that. I, I just thought it was so effective. So um, when Halloween H2O came out, uh, after that, they really sold like the speeches uh, Donald Pleasance had about the devil's eyes and the darkest eyes and everything like that. So I was so excited when that movie came out, and being a little kid, I mean, obviously that movie's, not as good as the originals, not as in, impactful, but I still think it's a really fun sequel. So I remember watching that movie in the theaters and just being like, wow, this is so cool. But the reason for that being is because the first Halloween is so powerful and Michael Myers is a powerful um, character, uh, character study as well um, in these first couple movies. So from what I understand, what I what my research, um, what my research was, was that the whole idea of Michael Myers being this dude escaping from this mental institution kind of derived from when John Carpenter was in college and he was in a psychology class and they went to a mental institution and um, he saw like an adolescent boy just sitting there and he kind of just was emotionless, didn't do any, didn't say anything, didn't look at anybody or anything like that. And that kind of just stuck with him. And that's why he uses that as like the prototype for 
Michael Myers' origins. I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Um, as far as the movie goes and how these the story comes together and the, and the scenes work, um, I, I, I don't think that there's a lot of fat in this movie. And I think that apart from some like picky knit stuff that this movie works really well, even as it stands alone today, if you, if you forget everything you know about, um, scary movies, everything that, that scream pulled, um, called out about slasher movies. If you forget all that stuff, even if you're not a horror fan, you go in and you watch this movie. It it works on so many levels. Um, the beginning of it, the origin of Michael Myers just kind of going crazy and killing his sister. Uh, I think that's a great opening scene. I, I, like I said, there's some picky nits in there, and there's a reoccurring thing that happens that we noticed the last time we watched this. Um, him and his sis, uh, his sister and her boyfriend go upstairs to have sex. Michael Myers walks around the back of the house and then uh, walks in the house, and then the guy that she's having sex with comes downstairs, put like putting putting his pants on, tugging his shirt in. It's like, dude, that guy is like a one pump chump or he couldn't get it up or something because he was up there way too short of a time. And uh, yeah, so that happens a little bit later as well. But that whole sequence, him going upstairs and, and the fact that Michael Myers is a child, they don't really explain why he's traumatized the way they do in like the Rob Zombie remake or whatever. But the fact that he's a child and that it's his sister that he's murdering. Um, there's something really eerie about that. Really, really eerie and just really scary. But I, well, the last time watching it, he walks out and it seems as if they wanted it to be a freeze frame, but it's not. Um, the camera keeps pulling out. The mother or the, the woman that's out there when they pull off his mask or whatever, she's like standing there with her hands in her pockets. And I was like, in the situation like this, I think your hands would come out of your pockets. I don't know. It was just something, something that I noticed this last time around. But yeah, I think, I think that scene works pretty well just to set up um, a little bit of the backstory for it. Cause you could start without that scene and just have your doctor um, expositing all this, all this information to the nurse and the car on the way to a mental institution. And then, you know, have a mental patient escape because so many other movies had done that. I recently watched one called the slumber party massacre and, um, they didn't give any information about the killer at all. It's just on the radio that he escapes from a, um, a mental institution and that movie where there are some fun, funny moments. It, it doesn't do nearly as well of a job at what this movie is doing. It's basically the same premise. But yeah, I think that 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 opening scene works really well. And then on top of that, you get the next scene where Donald Pleasance is on his way to the hospital with the nurse in the car. And, you know, they're talking about Michael Myers and already he's you could tell he's afraid of who Michael Myers is. And then on top of that, um, it's a dark night, everything like that. And they, they get to the 
they get to the facility and they see people just walking around freely in the yard and they're like what the fuck is going on that that scene for me always resonated because it just even though it's been done in so many different things and i feel like it's been done a lot after this movie came out you can't really see like the 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 only illumination of everything is kind of the the headlights so everything's really dark and you just see these people in white robes walking around aimlessly and you're already kind of concerned and you're not necessarily sure what's going on or why these people are out. Even the even the um, the nurse, I believe, asks like, "Oh, they let them walk around or whatever." And he's like, "No, what the fuck?" So that that starts happening, and then Donald Pleasant gets out of the car to see if he can get inside the gate, and then immediately um, Michael Myers attacks the woman in the car and then steals the car. That's a nitpick that a lot of people have: is like, how the hell does he know how to drive a car? They call it out a little bit later in the movie, but. You know, it, it happens still. Um, and beat for beat, I think those two scenes work really, really well. And then we get, we go to Haddonfield, which is a fictional city, by the way. Um, I hadn't realized that for a long time. Haddonfield, Illinois, which has a lot of palm trees in it because um, it was actually filmed here in California. But uh, we get introduced to Lori and her friends and... Then we, uh, Lori and her friends, and we get uh, introduced to Tommy, and you know we get this this great like this great atmospheric um, like legend told because we we already know as the audience what had happened at the Myers place, but you get Tommy and Lori talking to each other about the boogeyman and about how she shouldn't go up to that house and everything, and this is something that. Um, that John Carpenter had always intended to put into his script. Uh, when when they approached, when the producers approached him to to make this movie, he had the idea of making like a ghost story, like a haunted house story, um, not necessarily a ghost story. But he 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 knew, and I I, I agree. There was a place like this where we live. Um, that in every town, especially probably back then, smaller towns, there was a house where somebody went crazy or somebody died or got murdered or something, and the the children of the of the town knew to stay away from it, and probably the teenagers probably wanted to go hang out there and stuff like that. There's certainly a place like that near where I live, and you know he he wanted to put that in there, and that's where that that atmosphere comes in, and I think it's it's um very well done it's subtly done but also not at the same time because we know that this dude murdered his sister a long time ago um but Lori's not concerned with it she doesn't think anything of it and um nobody else mentions it besides the kid until later on when uh she asks dr loomis who the boogeyman is but yeah um another 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 thing that i noticed uh Jack Palance has some great speeches in here, and he's got I, I love him talking to the police officer or the sheriff of the town, um telling telling him about Michael Myers and him having the devil's eyes and stuff like that. It it's it's very impactful. However, Donald Pleasance is barking barking orders at that sheriff all day. Um <laughs> Like all day, and the sheriff is just listening to him. He gives him a little pushback at some point, but last time I was sitting there, I was watching. I was like, "Dude, you're I, I'm a sheriff. I don't fucking take orders from some old dude." But I, I get it. He's concerned. He sees this guy is fucking going crazy trying to find this dude. But yeah, um, 
one of the one of the things there's there's a few nitpicks in this movie that I was like, ah, come on. Um, Donald Pleasant's at the very end of the movie. Well, not the very end, but close to the end of the movie. He's been outside Michael Myers's house all fucking day, scaring little kids, and then he notices the car that Michael Myers stole is parked like almost directly across the street, which is kind of ridiculous. But you know, like we said, nitpicks. Um. But yeah, I, I I like all the stuff with Donald Pleasance and him trying to convince the cop how dangerous Michael Myers is. All those speeches that he gives are really, really cool. And I think those those are what reinforce to the audience the severity of what could happen. Because at this point, you know, we see that Michael Myers killed the guy who he stole his jumpsuit on the side of the road. And then... Other than that, he hasn't really killed anybody, and the first person he kills is a dog, or the first thing he kills is a dog, and then he starts killing the girls. Um, but before all that, like I said, that all that all the killing happens in the last like act of the movie, whereas most most uh, horror movies these days, there's got to be like a kill like every like ten minutes or something just to keep people interested. But what this movie does really well is heighten the suspense um, to the point that it's almost like a <clears throat> like a like a tea kettle. Laurie walking around at school, just feeling like somebody's watching her, and then seeing somebody watch her, and then him being on the street when they're walking home, and then him being in um, by the laundry lines outside of her window. All that stuff builds the suspense up like so much. And then finally, once she, I mean, we as the audience know that Linda's already dead, that um, um, Brenda's already dead. uh, But not Brenda, I'm sorry, uh, but uh, that her friends are already dead. But once she gets to the house uh, and all these bodies start popping out, that's when the water starts to boil over. And that's when we get like really good parts of the score that John Carpenter composed himself. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just really, really fun. The last 10 minutes of that movie are just kind of heart dumping. If you've never seen it, never seen it before. And even still really enjoyable, um, for me watching it all these years later, like for the thousands time, thousands time. And what's great about, what's great about, this part is you get to complain about things that you already know are ha- going to happen. I mean, she she stabs Michael Myers once in the neck and then just leaves him alone. And then he gets up again and then she stabs him in the eye and then just leaves him alone. And then, uh, you know, it's just a trope that we're so used to in horror movies. And everybody's like, dude, just keep stabbing him or keep shooting him or whatever. But... At the time when this movie came out, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on in in movies, and I just think it's it's just a really fun thing because you want your audience to be like, "Come on!" or like yelling at the TV, like that's interaction. That's that's you know what we make movies for, you know, for people to have a reaction to to feel like they're part of the experience, and that's definitely something that works really well in there. Um, apparently from what I understand, John Carpenter had intended, um, all that stuff to happen in sequence and him getting shot and then him disappearing at the end of the movie. Um, because although it's possible, 
however unlikely that he could survive all those things, um, you wanted this underlying feeling that that Michael Myers was was supernatural in some way, which obviously later on in the series it becomes way more of a way more of a thing. Um, but he he didn't want to give the audience any answers as to how that's possible or is it even the case. But just leave the question there because he liked the idea that when somebody loses their humanity and when somebody becomes like evil, they take a different form inside themselves. They become the shape is what they refer him as. And then she refers to him as the boogeyman and Donald Pleasance um, agrees with her. And it's, it's just such a great, great ending to that movie. You know, Donald Pleasance finally comes and saves the day. He unloads on this dude and knocks him out the window. And for my money, I can't tell you about the first time I saw this movie, but I can only imagine being there in 1978 watching this movie. I don't think that I would think I would have thought that his body would have been gone when he looks outside. But what a great ending to the movie because the movie kind of just ends right after that. Um, and it would leave the audience being like, cause you want to get that satisfaction of, Oh, they, they killed him. It's over. Blah, blah, blah. I don't have to worry as a babysitter of this guy showing up, but then you look outside and he's gone. And I think that that's a great ending to this movie. It's, it's just leaves so many open-ended questions and it leaves you kind of looking over your shoulder, leaving the theater yourself. And yeah, it's, it's just done really, really well. And like I said, all these things have been done over and over and over again in movies um, since it came out. But this was one of the first times a lot of things happen. And it's, and it's the playbook for so many movies to follow um, after this. And it's just such an important piece of cinema in general. But the horror genre, this has pro- got to be in the top five, if you could argue the, the best um, Halloween movie of all time. Uh, not considering the title, but which also is strange to me because people have been making ho- uh, horror movies for decades at this point, and nobody had ever made a movie one called Halloween or two kind of taking place on Halloween, where that was the whole whole idea behind it. Um, but yeah, I love this movie. It's it's something that if I can watch it um, during October, I definitely will watch it. Uh, I, I don't own a copy of it anymore. I haven't in years, but, um, we wanted to do it for this podcast. You guys wanted to do us on, do it on here. We voted for it. Um, I don't think that I could actually do the last bit of the podcast because there have been remakes. There have been sequels. There at, well, I was going to say there haven't been prequels, but the Rob Zombie remake, um, goes a lot more into Michael Myers younger life. Um, if you guys care about my suggestions um, and you've heard that uh, Season of the Witch is shitty, I don't think it is. I think it's a great, uh, fun movie. I, it's not Halloween and it's not um, a masterpiece or anything like that. But it's a really, really fun movie. It's a different take on just a different Halloween story. Uh, I personally enjoy Return of Michael Myers and Revenge of Michael Myers. The one, the Curse of Michael Myers, is which is the one with uh, Paul Rudd in it. That one I think is not great. Uh, and then I enjoy Halloween H two O Resurrections is fucking ridiculous, but it's it's fun enough to laugh at. Um, 
as far as I, I really enjoy Rob Zombie's remake, the first one. I think that movie's pretty well done, and it and it moves away from the camp and turns it back into like a terrorist scenario. The second one, however, um, I hated. I remember being so excited to watch that one, and uh, I went in and I was like, "This is fucking garbage." But apparently, the studio was so involved in that movie that Rob Zombie tanked it on purpose. But that's uh, just something I read. I'm not sure if that's actually true. Um, but considering the vast difference of how good the, those two movies are, um, I, it kind of makes sense. But anyway, um, and then these new ones, I wouldn't ever watch those movies ever again. I think they're they're really, really bad. They can't decide whether they want to be serious or they want to be campy. And it makes for a really um, bad uh, movie going experience, in my opinion. If you guys like them, that's great. Um, but yeah, I just I, I don't enjoy those movies at all. But yeah, that's what I'll say instead of coming up with my own um, my own idea for a sequel or a prequel or a remake. Um, if you guys want to watch those movies, go right ahead. And uh, yeah, that's the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Sorry again that um, Jason isn't around, but you know, um, people got places to be. But we wanted to make sure we got this out today because for me, my personal favorite time of year is this time. I love these movies. I love talking about these movies. So, yeah, for Play It Again, man, I'm Steven Valdez, and we will hopefully be back together in the studio next week with another scary movie. Make sure you're checking out the Instagram, check out the polls, see what movie we're going to be doing next, I believe. Um, We're doing a zombie feature, so you're going to have to pick between two zombie movies, and then we'll see which one we do. Other than that, we'll see you at the movies next week, guys. Bye.